Hello, my bold, badass princess in the beers. I am so excited to have you here for another amazing guest episode. Now, normally, I don't bring a lot of men onto this podcast simply because it's mainly for women by women. But there are some men who, I mean, we could call them woke, but there are some men that just have the ability to connect empathically on such a deep level and who are able to have that embodiment of both the masculine energy of drive and ambition and goal-gettedness and have that feminine sort of energy of empathy, sensitivity, awareness, presence. And Mike Cameron has both of those. Not only has he successfully built an eight-figure business, he's a TEDx speaker, Ironman, ultra-marathon runner, and a yogi. And his passion and his purpose work is now serving men to help them understand the underlying emotions that drive the decisions that we make every single day day so that we can really have a fully awakened existence. Now, his path was hard fought due to an experience that he had with his girlfriend being murdered. And I'll let him tell the story of how he found this path to where just last year, he sold his business and went all in into coaching and speaking and leadership and really being a guide for people to connect with our underlying emotions. And I wanted to bring him on specifically because even though I know I have a predominantly female audience, one of the things that I have noticed is us as women, as we have fought for equality, as we have risen to really strive and be ambitious to be able to get those CEO level positions and to grow our business beyond that statistic that only 2% of female businesses make above a million dollars a year. And as we have strived for these goals and rightfully so, I have seen in my experience as a high performance coach, women in leadership positions adopting and dominating only with their masculine energy. When as we get into the work, they get deeper connected to their emotions so that they see and experience that beautiful feminine flow that actually can be more powerful than the push and the drive and the hustle and the hard work. That ability to receive, to feel, to transmute energy and to transform through that energy is so powerful and it really is deeply rooted in our ability to fully feel and allow ourselves to feel even the uncomfortable emotions. And so on this episode, not only do we dive into strategies and leadership tactics for eight-figure business owners and being able to grow to that level... And not only will you learn Mike's story that is an incredibly powerful one, but you will also feel from this. Like I was crying on this podcast with Mike when he was sharing 
some of his breakthroughs in his story that came because he chose to go through the feelings that in his words, he was gifted with because he went through the experience of having his girlfriend be murdered. So with that being said, open your hearts, open your ears, get ready to take some beautiful notes and tap into your ability to feel and receive and allow for really powerful learnings to come through. I am so excited to hear what your breakthroughs are. And now I give you Mike Cameron. Welcome to the Princess and the Bee podcast, the place to be to build your empire as queen of your body, business, and life. I'm your host, Kimberly Spencer, founder of crownyourself.com, and I'm an award-winning coach, Amazon best-selling author, and multi-passionate entrepreneur. Each week, I give you the systems, strategies, and success stories to help you master your mindset, communicate with ease, and triple your productivity so you make the income and the impact you deserve. Imagine this podcast as your weekly spark of inspiration as you take it to the next level with all the bees of your life, body, business, bank account, boys and babies. Let's make it rain. Hello, hello, my amazing princess and the beers. Welcome back. And I'm so excited for this episode because I have the second man ever to be on this podcast. Well, actually, if you don't count my mastermind that happened earlier, but Mike Cameron has built, he built his business to eight figures. He's an ultra marathon runner. And, and basically I would call him a badass, but the murder of his girlfriend, Colleen back in 2015 by her ex-boyfriend shook his world and he redefined what a badass is. He's been a TEDx speaker and he's spoken all across the country on redefining what a badass is. And I am so honored to have Mike Cameron here. Kimberly, thank you so much for having me. I am really looking forward to this conversation. We had such a good chat the first time we met. I, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. And it was a moment of like, I don't know how I found you and you don't know how you found me, but I think it was, it was, it was meant to be. A little bit of divine intervention. A little bit of divine intervention. So I would love to hear a little bit about your story, about this horrible experience that you went through back in 2015. And how did that, how did that cause you to question how emotion affects behavior? Well, it's interesting. I'm going to take it back further than, than that, because that was just sadly another of the sort of clues along the way. Um, I started, you know, I, I kind of joke as, as a speaker, you know, we're, we all look for sort of these interesting origin stories. And, and so as I was putting mine down, um, it was actually my, my current partner who, who talked about, touched on this, um, that I literally went from bagging shit to running a multimillion dollar business. And, and, and it's true. It's not sort of made up. I started my career when I was 18 um, bagging steer manure. I worked at a garden supply wholesaler. So I literally bagged shit for a living and ultimately worked my way up through the ranks at the soil plant into the warehouse, drove a truck, eventually got into sales there. And so I started selling garden supplies. And, and what I started to learn there 
was that nobody buys a bag of steer manure because they want to own a bag of shit. Mm -hmm. They buy steer manure because they want the feeling that they will ultimately get when they can plant a beautiful garden, grow a beautiful rose or vegetable garden or, or what have you. So I started to recognize that if I wanted to sell more product, it was about tapping into that customer's emotions, right? Again, we don't yeah. buy a car for the car. We buy a car because it's going to make us feel like a baller or it's, you know, it's going to make us feel like whatever. We don't necessarily buy the thing. We buy the, the feeling we believe the thing's going to give us. And, and I started learning that, like I said, real early in, in my sales career. And eventually I hit the, hit the ceiling at the garden supply company, went on to get into finance. I played hockey with a guy that was um, selling financial instruments and he was having lots of fun, making lots of money. And I was 23 years old and I said, okay, how do you do that? And uh, so he showed me or he told me what I needed to do and uh, eventually worked my way into, into a sales capacity selling uh, financial instruments, investments. And uh, that was kind of when I had my, my next lesson in we buy on emotion justified by logic. And that was I was working in uh, downtown Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada at the time, which is, you know, one of our, our largest cities in, in Canada on the coast and, and very urban and uh, very affluent. And at 26 years old, I walked into the Porsche dealership because I was, I was doing well. I was single and I was making lots of money and having lots of fun. And certainly a, a guy like that, a young guy like that needs to have a Porsche, right? <laughs> and so, so I walked into the dealership and, and Bill, the sales guy, he knew full well this concept that we buy on emotion and we justify it with logic. And so, you know, he had me sit down in this Porsche and he stroked the leather and he said, you know, oh, doesn't that feel nice? How does that feel wrapped around you? Put your hands on that steering wheel. What does that feel like? And uh, he said, oh, just imagine taking this thing up the Sea to Sky Highway, which is a long, windy highway from Vancouver up to Whistler. It's right along the ocean. It's just a gorgeous highway, but it's lots of twists and turns. And of course, you know, Porsches are well known for their, their handling capabilities. So, you know, this was a guy that understood that we bought on emotion because I got to tell you, there is nothing logical about buying a Porsche when you're 26 years old. Um, <laughs> that car, so I, so I bought the car. That car was more money than, than I'd, I'd made in a year at that time. Um, and, and so, yeah, it was, I mean, it was really, it was stupid when I, when I look back at it, 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 it was dumb. Um, so again, starting to understand that you know, we buy on, on emotion. And, and in fact, we, we make decisions based on emotion. And as my career progressed, and I started to, to sort of dive into that a little bit more, and, and I'm a guy that always likes to understand the why behind the what. So I looked at the science behind it. And, and sure enough, there's a whole bunch of science behind the fact that we actually make decisions based on how we feel. And we justify those or rationalize them with, with logic. And so, yeah, when, when Colleen was killed, um, that kind of came full circle for me. And, you know, I, again, I can, can dive into the, the story, the, the redefining badass piece. So probably two, two years before she was killed, I'd started exploring, uh, I wrote a piece called uh, Men, It's Time to Woman Up. And I had been talking with a, a lady friend of mine and, and we were talking about 
um, masculinity and, and sort of this, this theme of you got to man up. And I sort of joked with her at the time and I said, you know, it's really a shame because, you know, we're encouraged to suppress, avoid, or, or remain stoic in the face of our emotions. And I said, really, we should be using the phrase, it's time to woman up. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to write a piece about that. And, and so I did. And that was, I don't know, that was probably seven, eight years ago now uh, that I wrote that piece. And, um, you know, Colleen and I uh, met in 2015, early 2015, and uh, dated. Uh, and she used to always tease me about how much of a badass I was. And, you know, I, I ran a business. I was a rock climber. Or she got me into rock climbing. I did yoga. I did Ironman at the time. Um, so she would always tease me about how badass I was. And, and I got to tell you, Kimberly, is as a guy that's always been more sort of geek than jock, more nerd than cool kid, um, you know, it really made me, made my heart go pitter pat when she, she, she teased me about that. And so we, uh, in August of 2015, we drove to Penticton, which is about uh, 10 and a half hours from, from my home now. And it's a, a summer, a summer vacation spot in British Columbia. And I was going to be competing in an Ironman event there. And it just so happened my 65-year-old aunt lived in Penticton. And Penticton is a place that I grew up summering uh, at and visiting my aunt and uncle up there. And so we went and I was competing in, a, in an Ironman there. And uh, after the race, we ended up at my aunt's place for dinner. And she starts telling us this story. She says, you know... I decided that this year I wanted to get a little bit more fit. I wanted to get a little bit more active and just start paying a little bit of attention to my health. And, you know, this is a woman, like I said, she's 65 years old, um, not overly active. You'd probably say she was a little overweight, um, but she went on to talk about how she decided she wanted to get a little bit more fit. So she signed up for the 5K fun run before the, the big race that I competed in. And she's telling us this story and she says, you know, I knew full well that I was going to finish dead last, but I didn't care. I wanted to do it anyway. So I lined up at the back of the pack because the last thing I need is these kids passing me along the way. So I lined up way at the back of the pack and, you know, we're just smiling and listening to her tell this story. And she says, so the gun went and off we go. And I get about a kilometer away from the finish line. And she said, all of a sudden, this kid on a bike starts riding beside me. And of course, when she says kid, you know, it's probably somebody in their late 20s, early 30s uh, with the race. And she says, I looked over at him. I said, you're here because I'm last, aren't you? And he says, yep, I'm afraid so. He says, but you're doing great. You're doing great. And he starts cheering her in and they, uh, they run the last little bit in and they get to within 100 or so uh, meters of the finish line. And um, she he looks at her and says, uh, I'm going to ride ahead and let him know that you're still out on course. And she's like, oh, no, no, no. He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he rides ahead and she looks up and she can see that they're already tearing down the finish line. They're already packing up the PA system. Like she's that far last. So they set everything back up. And to their, the organizer's credit, not only do they set everything back up, they send a fellow by the name of Jeff Simons out to run uh, in with her. And Jeff Simon is a local Penticton boy. He's a professional triathlete. I think he won the 2017 Melbourne Ironman. So like he's a badass when it comes to triathlon. So she finishes telling us this story and gets up to clear the table. And so Colleen and I are just left there sitting by ourselves and Colleen just looks at me and she goes, you know what, Mike? 
She goes, now that's fucking badass. And I went, yup. Like, I finished middle of the pack. So, you know, running an Ironman, finishing middle of the pack, I mean, sure, it takes a little bit of training, but there's not a whole lot of guts or glory in that. But to compete in an event that you know full well, you are publicly going to finish dead last, that takes some courage. That takes some balls, so to speak. And so that, that entire drive home, uh, I saw you wince at that one. It's funny because Betty White has a, has a quote. She says, you know, balls are soft and uh, mushy, but a vagina, that takes a, bound, a pounding. <laughs> yes, I love that. I love that quote. Because I was like, mm, not so much. <laughs> yeah, you're, welcome, you're welcome to call me on any of my bullshit. Um, anyways, so the entire 10 and a half hour drive home, Colleen and I talked about, you know, what does it really mean to be a badass? And especially in the context of, of masculinity. And we were listening to Tim Ferriss had Brene Brown on his podcast. And he asked her something to the effect of, you know, what do you think of the over-feminization of boys in our school systems? And I kind of went, huh? But she handled it brilliantly. And she said, you know, I don't believe that masculine and feminine are mutually exclusive. She said, in fact, I think that perfect combination of tough and tender is the exact equation for badassery. And it just, boom, like that was it. it that spoke to me. And so, again, we, we talked the entire way home about, you know, what does it really mean to be a man? What does it really mean to be a badass? And it was only, you know, it was like a month and, month and a week after that that, uh, you know, Colleen slept over at my place on uh, Thursday night, October 1st, woke up October 2nd. She was a yoga instructor, so she got up and was, was supposed to be teaching at, at 6 a.m. Friday morning and uh, got up, got dressed, came around my side of the bed, gave me a kiss. I said, have fun at yoga, and I rolled over and went back to sleep and got up around 6.30, came downstairs a little after 7. I shot her a text and said, hey, how was yoga? Kind of as was our custom. And I didn't hear back from her, which, you know, I didn't think much at the time because while she wasn't a, a huge talker, she's an incredible listener. And as a result, would often get into these long drawn out conversations with her students afterwards. And, and she had five kids. So, you know, who knows? Something occupying her time wasn't out of the ordinary. So I went about my morning and you know, by 8.30, I had to leave for an appointment downtown and still hadn't heard from her, um, which was a little out of character. So I shot her another note, hopped in my car, got on the phone, no answer, got to my 9 o'clock, came out, 10 o'clock, still no message, no phone call. Starting to get a little bit concerned at this point because definitely out of character. Uh, I had another 11 o'clock meeting, finished that up, sent her a text as I was going into that. I said, hey, let me know you're doing okay. I'm starting to get a little bit worried. And uh, we wrapped up our, our 11 o'clock and agreed to go across the street for lunch. And as we were walking into the restaurant across the street, uh, my phone rang and uh, I looked at it and it was a blocked number. And I answered it and the voice on the other end of the line said, uh, is this Mike Cameron? I said, yes. And he said, this is Constable so-and-so. And, -so. and I, I don't remember his name and my, my heart just sank. And I said, is she okay? And he says, where are you? And I practically screamed into the phone. I said, is she okay? And I could see everybody at the restaurant kind of making eye contact now or seeing what's going on. And I turned and I, I walked out and I, I told him where I was. And he says, okay, we're at your house. We're coming to you. 
And so I waited at the curb and, you know, for what seemed like an hour, but was probably only five or six minutes because not far from home. And this unmarked police car pulls up across the street from me and I start walking across the street and big badass burly looking cop gets out and starts walking towards me and meets me halfway across the street. And after he identified who I was, he looked me in the eye and he said three words that would change my life forever. He simply said, Colleen is dead. Shot and killed by an ex-boyfriend who subsequently took his own life. You know, we, we make decisions based on emotion. This was a guy that, that made a decision with very permanent consequences based on a very temporary emotion. So looking at, at emotions, what is it that we need to be, because I, I have a, a toddler and a son mm. and he's amazing. And one of the things I work on teaching him is, is the ability to express his emotion because he has lots of it. And I mean, I know that there's more of a stereotype around men being able to like rub some dirt into it and, you know, buck up and get strong and all these, these kind of cliche phrases. I mean, my husband was raised with a ton of them. And what we're doing is looking at how do we, how do we really allow for him to have emotional expression? But I don't think that's just just the problem with men. I think that is something with women too. Like I wasn't allowed in my house to have big, bold anger or right. rage. Like that's not pretty. That's not girly. And if I would get angry and in a big way, cause that was kind of like my default for hypocrisy. Whenever I would see hypocrisy, that's just, it just boils something inside of me. And I wasn't allowed to express those emotions. So how do we give ourselves greater permission to f undo the programming yes. of all of the pro uh, of all of the emotional programming and plagiarized programming, quite frankly, that we've adopted? Yeah. And I, and I think, I mean, that's a great point. And I, and I talk about that a fair bit because, because I think, you know, the risk we run, cause I, cause I speak specifically to men and, and sort of the societal pressures to, as you said, don't be a pussy, suck it up, wipe the dirt off, get up, pick yourself up. Um, the flip side of that, I think for, for women or the potential uh, peril for women is in this quest for equality, which is certainly needed. You have been told that, you need to suck it up. You need to, to, to man up, so to speak, in order to compete in this world. And so my, my fear is that, you know, if the pendulum swings too far the other way, then all we do is take all the shit and the problems that we run into and put them on, on you. Um, so, so that's definitely something to be aware of. And, and I think that's where it starts is, is just that awareness piece. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, it's, it's interesting because I've had clients who are, Climbing the corporate ladder, um, one of my clients in particular, she's a lawyer, and she said, Kim, I got to tell you, it's never been the, the men that have held me back. She said, yeah, maybe they'd make some like lunchroom offhanded comment, but it was never actually trying to hold me back. She said it was actually the women. And there's this cattiness that happens when women adopt this, this hyper-masculinity and I don't mean that they're like, you know, yep. get dressed in all butch, but like it's a masculine 
energy that is very dominant, forceful, pushy, and it's it's got it's got its great qualities as well. It's got the yes. ambition and the drive and the push. How do we how do we find that that dance and that balance between the two? Yes. So, so again, for, for me, for sure, awareness is, is really the, the key. And, and I use the acronym SOAR. Um, slow down, open up, accept, and, and reconnect. Slow down. Just take that pause. Take that breath. And open up, for me, it's twofold. First, we have to open up to ourselves and again, I'm speaking for, for, from a guy's perspective, for sure, our tendency is to not open up, even to ourselves. Like we don't want to allow whatever we're feeling to come up. So just opening up to allow whatever is there to come up. And then the second part of that open up is sharing. Kim, you know, right now I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit nervous because I want to make sure I deliver to your audience and, and, so, so I've got a little bit of anxiety cropping up and, and just share that. And, and, you know, again, I think what you'll find as soon as you do that, then it just starts to dissipate. And the acceptance piece, and, and this is probably the harder one, especially for guys, is to accept that, you know, if I'm, if I'm feeling anxious or that, that that's okay, that's what I'm feeling, as opposed to going... Like, dude, what the fuck? Why are you feeling you shouldn't be feeling this way because you're a strong, confident dude. You've done X, Y, and Z. Why are you, why, why would you be feeling anxious or, or nervous about any of this? And then we just get into this cycle of beating ourselves up and we start feeling bad for feeling bad, which leads to feeling bad, which leads to feeling bad for feeling bad for feeling bad. And it becomes this downward spiral. So we just really have to learn to accept and then the R, you know, once we slow down, we open up and we accept. Then we can reconnect with that emotional part of ourselves. And, and I love that you brought up the toddler thing because I use this as an example for anybody that's a parent and has toddlers. You know that we weren't born emotionally disconnected. Our, our toddlers, and until we teach them otherwise, they're pretty damn good at expressing their emotions. And emotionally resilient too. Like they express it, it comes out and then it's good. Like, yeah. and then, oh, look, look. And it's not, and it's not from a place of like wanting to distract from that emotion. It's like they've processed it fully. They've allowed it to release. And ideally as a parent, you shape how it's released healthily so they're not you know hitting or punching or anything like that but they've allowed it to release and then they're good i mean just the other day my son just like he saw me crying about something and so he started crying because he's so empathetic and he just he just immediately buried his head into the couch and just started crying and i was like oh buddy come here and he came and he, then he he got into our like our hug cuddle that we were having as a family and then he he and then he goes cheeks and so he knows that that's that's a sign for my husband and i to kiss him on the cheeks and he and he tries oh, nice. to fight us off but it was like he he had his emotion he let it process he didn't judge it for being what it was and i think that that's something that as adults and especially with with what i've seen with coaching high achievers is that acceptance piece of being able to accept when we're in a negative state yes yeah so one of one of the things 
that I love is to replace that word judgment with curiosity. Yes. And where can we get curious? And, and, and that, you know, again, we tend to want to, to bury or avoid the, the, the negative emotions, the less desirable emotions, but where can you get curious about those? And for me, that was a game changer. So when Colleen was killed, I had um, a friend of mine, a yogi friend of mine out of Montreal, uh, had sent me an article. Um, it was a letter to Rachel by a fellow by the name of Ram Dass. And I don't know if you're familiar with Ram Dass. You tell me about it. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, right. We did talk about that. Yeah. Um, but that letter to Rachel was just, it was game changing for me in that letter. So Rachel was a young girl who was brutally murdered uh, and Ramdas had written this letter to her parents. And there were three major pieces that came out of that for me. And the first, he said, and, and, and keep in mind, this, the first time I ever read this was the day after Colleen was killed. And I, I've probably read that 200, 300 times since that day. Um, he says, who among us is strong enough to remain conscious through such teachings as you are receiving? Probably very few. And then the second piece he talked about is our rational minds will never understand what has happened, but our hearts, if we keep them open, will find their own intuitive way. And then the third piece was now is the time to let your grief find expression, no false strength for your grief is Rachel's legacy to you. And, you know, again, that, that, who among us is strong enough to remain conscious through such teachings as you're receiving. And I made a very deliberate decision that, that I was going to afford myself of this opportunity to feel these feelings. Like, and I can feel them coming now. Like this is not an opportunity I would wish upon my worst enemy, but Kimberly, who the fuck am I to squander this? Right? Like, I can't change it. I can't go back in time. So, you know, I could bury myself in a bottle. I could distract the shit out of myself. I could do any number of things to avoid it. But how many of us ever get the opportunity to feel that deeply? Not very many. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said, who, who am I to squander that? So when I could get curious about that, and start to observe that with wonder and not judge it. And, you know, there were, there were times, and, and I, I, I say this every once in a while, and I, one of these days I'll, I'll do it, but I took a, you know, there, there, were, there were times where I would just collapse on the kitchen floor and I would just lose my shit. I would just absolutely fall apart. And I remember I took a selfie uh, in one of those moments because I thought, you know what, we always take these selfies and these, hey, look at me. But whoever takes a selfie when they got that ugly, nasty, gross cry going on. And and so I did. Um, And and I've still got that. I've never, I've never shared it, but it, but it's one of the things that I, that I will at some point, just because I, again, I think, you know, especially in this social media age, you know, we we share all the happy go lucky stuff, but we don't necessarily share. And, And again, not that, not that we need to air all of our dirty laundry, but, but a little bit of reality is, is not a bad thing. And, and so, you know, again, just being able to 
experience that depth of emotion and get curious about it and observe it with wonder and just dive into it and embrace it and learn from it was incredible. And, and still to this day is, you know, as, as I tell this story every time I, I feel it again. And, you know, it's, it's much more, it's been, it's been almost five years now, um, which blows my mind, absolutely blows my mind. Yeah. But it, it's just, again, the depth, the richness of life that she has given me is incredible, like absolutely incredible. <laughs> you know, as I, I choke up as I think about that, because it's just, it's so fucking not fair but it's such a gift. It's such a gift. I love the fact that you said not fair because something that I've been studying myself is this cognitive bias that we have, which is called the just world bias, Mm -hmm. where our brains are trying to make logical sense about something that's not fair, something that's unjust, something that happened. And what I've seen is when it's less, there are some people who are more prone to blame outside of themselves. And then there are some people who are more prone to blame inside of themselves. And what I've seen is when uh, typically high achievers experience something that's not fair, they're very easy, they're much easier to blame inside of themselves because they know that they can change. Right. What I've seen is that this just world bias because it's the bias that basically says, well, what did that person do to deserve that? You know, and then we can't make logical sense of that. And, or what did I do to deserve this? If it's something that's bad, that's happened to us. And then it really fucks with that perception of what is it that we deserve? Yes. So how have you, remedied or dealt or processed with what you feel you deserve through this and what you believe that you deserve through this. Yeah. And, and again, I come back to that, that quote in the letter, our rational minds will never understand, but our hearts, if we keep them open, will find their own intuitive way. And and so if we're going to look at this from a, what I deserve, and, and this is still so hard for me to say, but she gave me such a gift, like such a gift. It's fucking incredible. Like, yeah. So, I mean, I, I struggle with feeling worthy of the gift she's given me. That's what I struggle with. I don't struggle with, you know, I, I didn't deserve this to happen to me. I I struggle with, am am I worthy to carry this gift that she has given me? And and that's why I have these conversations because I have an obligation to take this out to the world and share this gift with others. And, and that, yeah, that to me just, you know, I I think I told you, I mean, I sold my business in December of last year so that I could do that. (laughs) Great timing to hit the road on on the the speaking circuit. eh? COVID. Woohoo. Guess we're not doing a whole lot of that anymore. But, but uh, look, but look at the amazing timing because it brought you to the Princess and the Bee podcast. <laughs> it totally did. It totally did. 
and and that I am grateful for. So so yeah, that that whole um, yeah the the deserving piece. Again, I just I come back to this. You know, and I hate to be so cliche with the everything happens for a reason bullshit, but like it just things unfold the way they're meant to unfold. And, you know, when you talk about that inner responsibility, that's the subtitle of my book is when something's got to change, maybe it's you. And for me, that came about as a result of after she was killed, I had so many people that surround me and pat me on the back and, you know, they'd shake their head and they'd say, you know, Mike, something's got to change. Something's got to change. And, and that became my mantra for a while. And every morning I'd wake up, I'd go brush my teeth, I'd look in the mirror and I'd shake my head and I'd say, fuck, something's got to change. Something's got to change. You know, and then one day I added those three words that shifted everything for me. And I just looked in the mirror and I said, something's got to change. Maybe it's you. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started to look at what can I do with this? How, how can I better show up in the world for this? Um, and, and that's not an easy, it's not an easy thing to do, but really being able to take full responsibility of how you show up regardless of what has happened to you, um, you know, that that's critical. And this is, this is one of the things I talk about with, with the people I coach, like, again, you, you can point fingers all day long, but the only thing you've got control over is right here. And just stepping into really who you are and showing up to the best of your ability in this world. I mean, that's your only obligation. That's your ownership of that, of how you take the things that are unfair, that do suck, that happened to you and make them happen for you. you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And and again, it's, it's easy to say these things. Um, It's, it's challenging and get caught up in these cliches. So this is where I come back to, you know, I'm a big fan of the word practice. And one of the things I talk about often is, you know, I don't want your audience to try any of these things that we talk about. I want your audience to practice every single one of these things, because when we shift from trying to practicing, we give ourselves permission. You know, the problem with try is it comes with this pass fail mentality. Oh, I tried that once, Kim, it just, it didn't work for me. Yeah. Okay, well, what if you practice that over and over and over and over again and made adjustments along the way because that's what practice is. And when we practice something as opposed to try it, we know that it's not about success or failure. It's just about getting a little bit better each and every time, each and every iteration of that practice. So, so I think... You know, again, that language shift is is big, and I, I'm I'm huge on language and how we speak to ourselves. Same here, same here. Like Yoda said, "Do or do not." There is no try. So, I mean, it's it try always implies a lot of effort, but not really results. In yes. fact, rarely ever results, especially if you're in in LA and you say, "Oh, will you?" come to my party and they say, I'll try, you know, it's a definite no. (laughs) So I'm curious, how can we sell as a salesman, Mm -hmm. you know, this idea of having men feel and how can we sell to women the acceptance of allowing men to feel? 
Yeah, well, those are two great questions. So, so let's let's talk to the men first. Um, what I don't understand is why this is such a difficult sales pitch, and it is. I get it. Um, but I mean, you look at the rates of suicide in men, the loneliness, depression epidemic. Like it's it's just fucking nuts. By and large, we're not fucking happy. So, if you're not happy and something's got to change, maybe it's you, right? So try it on for size, practice it, see how it works for you. I, I would suggest that when we can take the time to actually process these feelings, sit with them, observe them with wonder, you know, and, th and this is what I talk about, like true strength isn't about suppressing, avoiding, or burying your emotions. True strength is about having the fucking courage to let them come up and mm -hmm. sit with them and learn from them what we can. You know, it, it's so funny that we get called a pussy or, or, or a sissy or a, you know, I get called a soy boy all the time because, because I am empathetic and feel like one of the guys in one of the forums I'm involved in said something to the effect of, oh, be careful with these guys. Some of these men are, are so empathetic and nurturing that they practically lactate. And I just thought like, dude, I want to, <laughs> What? Like, at what point did nurturing and empathetic become a bad characteristic to have? It, it just, and at what point did lactation become well, a bad yes, thing? Yes, I was going to say. We can, that's called fueling and, like, feeding I, children. I, I was, I was going to say, there, there's just so many levels that that is wrong. Um, but once we can actually have the strength, because, you know, again, these kinds of comments come from a place of insecurity make yeah. no mistake. Like this isn't coming from a place of I'm so strong. I don't need to feel shit. It's, no, I'm so fucking terrified about what might come up that I don't have the guts to actually sit with these feelings. So again, my and this is, this is where I come in the, the challenge because I think guys, typically we need a challenge. So here's my challenge. See if you actually have the courage to sit with and let some of these not so nice feelings come up. And when you do, I think what you'll find, not I think, I know what you'll find is that your entire perspective will shift. You can start making clearer decisions. You'll get more clear on your passions, your purpose, how you need to show up. You'll feel so much better, so much happier because you can drop the stereotypical masculine bullshit that we're taught that we need to put on and you can just show up as who you are. And that's when the magic starts to happen. And when we can start to feel the richness of experience that we live life is fucking incredible. And again, if we want to talk about how do we sell it to guys, let's talk about sex. Because, I mean, when you can, you know, when that becomes more than a physical experience, like I get goosebumps thinking about about that like just when you can immerse yourself so deep into that experience and again the same goes true with any experience but sex is an experience that guys covet and and uh, <laughs> and, and will will respond to um but you know i think back to we went to a concert a few months back uh, i guess it was probably almost a year ago now um it was just a local concert. It was a husband and wife team that I, that I've met over the course of the years. 
Um, he has a story. He was abused, sexually abused. So he works that into his music. And, and it's just, it's an incredibly powerful performance. And I took, um, I got some VIP tickets and I took, uh, there was three couples that went. So there were six of us that had a, had a table there. And just, I mean, I cried through that concert. I laughed. Like, it was just so moving. The depth of experience that I had at that concert, the richness of experience that I had with those friends was incredible. And I tell you, 10 years ago, there's no way I would have been able to look back. And again, it, it was a small little concert in a you know 250 seat local auditorium with a local musician that was one of the most impactful concerts of my life. Like it was just, it was incredible. So to be able to, like, I, I don't know what more of a sales pitch you need than to be able to, it's, it's like living, you know, living life in black and white versus living life in 4K high-res color. Like, that's the difference. And when you can wake up every day, you know, I, I think back to the sort of the Disney cartoons, the birds chirping, Bambi bouncing in the field. And, you know, I, I, again, it's just being able to live this richness of experience is so, so gratifying. And I, and I can assure you, once you get there, you will never, ever, ever go back. And ladies, I'm going to challenge you to accept that challenge just as much because having been on the side of locking down feelings and boxing them away, any inappropriate ones or ones that had to, I should feel shame over feeling. Allowing, it was actually when I, um, I was 17, I was studying in an acting class and it was a, a Meisner acting class. And it was through eight months of doing these activities, these doors and activities of just learning, relearning how to relate and experience a person again. Mm -hmm it brought humanity back to me. It brought awareness, it brought feeling, it brought that moment in the mirror from, for me, for me it was with my eating disorder, that I said, I've been spending my, all my time blaming all of these other people and all of these other things. And yet it's, I, maybe it's me, maybe it's right. me that needs to change. And that ability to tap into allowing for the feelings and there's a great, part in um, Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed, that she talks about feelings kind of being like this package. And like, especially the negative ones, like you're delivered this package and you don't really want to open it because yes. it's like, you don't really want to go to the door even to go get it. Cause yes. you're just like, oh my God, I'm doing my thing. I don't want to like, I don't want to go to the door and like deal with the delivery man and sign. Like, I don't want to deal with it. But when you finally receive it, and you get it if once you open that box up you're able to get so many learnings and awarenesses and understandings about yourself that we're just cloaked in the package of a feeling yes yeah no i love that so i use the analogy of a, of a ball of yarn um and i talk about that often with especially with guys because sometimes it's hard right like so if, 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 if I ask a guy how they're feeling, because that's usually what we'll do is, is we'll do that sore analogy and we'll just slow down. So I'll often just start. 
with maybe a couple of minute meditation and just let's slow down. Let's just settle into this space and start to notice what are you feeling? And it's, you know, maybe it's, I feel shitty. I feel crappy. Okay. Well, what is that? I don't know. It's like, okay, well, I know it's this giant ball of yarn and it's got all these different things intermingled in it. So let's just start to pull it one thread at a time and unpack those. Is there anger in there? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's pull on that thread. Let's pull on that string of yarn and see what comes out. And so, yeah, I love that package analogy because it is, it's this giant bundle. And when we can start to unpack that package and we can start to identify the component pieces that are in that package, that's when we can start to recognize why we're doing some of the behaviors that we're doing. And, and especially, you know, if you've got a pattern of behavior that you want to change, that's where it needs to start because it doesn't start with the behavior. It starts with the feeling. So there's a feeling that drives that behavior. And I think that's the problem often that we run into, you know, and you could speak to this from, from an eating perspective, I'm sure. Um, that's never really been an issue for, for me, but you know, there, there's a feeling that drives the behavior, whether that's, you know, if we want to maintain a workout routine, whether we want to maintain a diet, you know, we can't just address, we can't brute force the behavior. We have to address the emotion that drives that behavior. If, if we want to, you know, we can brute force it for a time, but it's not going to be sustainable in long term. So yeah, we absolutely need to receive that package, open it gently and start to unpack all those little things that are inside it. Yep. Untang untangle that ball of yarn. I'd love to know, because when, when, building, when building a business, I mean, you've built a multi-million dollar business, and there is something that I've noticed with a lot of entrepreneurs where they get this identity around being a badass from the struggle and the story of suffering that they're going through of how hard they're working to build this thing. So how can we redefine badass in the terms of business? Oh, that's, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, we could do an hour on that for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, 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 the struggle piece, um, you know, I come back to, I talk often about getting more done with ease than with effort. And, and I think sometimes we get in our own way. And I know for me, for sure, you, you know, I work so fucking hard. I remember when I was, I don't know, 20, 19, 20. And I remember thinking how I looked forward to being busy. Like I was excited about the day when my calendar was entirely full so that I was busy and I was this badass business dude. And that's what I chased. And, you know, so we, we fill ourselves with this busyness. Um, maybe it's productive, maybe it's not. But what I've found over the years was that I could actually get more done with ease than with effort. And, you know, I'll give you a couple of analogies. So, so Colleen taught me to climb. And I, I remember that was one of our, our favorite things. We'd go to the climbing gym. And, and I remember as I was learning, I, I would climb like a dude. Like I would, I would muscle through everything. And Colleen down from the, from the ground would often yell up at me and she'd yell, climb like a girl, climb like a girl. And what, <laughs> what she meant was like, I'm just, I've got my arms flexed and I'm gripping so tight and I'm trying to brute force myself the way up the wall. And it, and if you watched her climb, you know, she, long limbs, always straight arms, graceful, 
So, you know, with climbing, you know, if, if your arms are bent, you get pumped out because you're, you're putting all this effort on your arms. Whereas if you just hang on straight arms and you sort of climb like a, a spider monkey kind of thing, it's just, it's so much easier. And it's not about brute forcing. It's about employing grace and ease to get up that wall. So that, so that was kind of her mantra for me to remind me, climb like a girl, climb like a girl. Not, not to, hopefully that doesn't offend anybody, but, but it was just, she had this ease about her of, of how she climbed. And, you know, we think I'm up in Canada and hockey is kind of our national pastime. And we often talk about, oh, that guy was holding the stick too tight, gripping the stick too tight. When a good player is having a bad game, we'll talk about how they're gripping the stick too tight. They're, uh, they're putting too much effort into it. They're just, they're not getting into that flow state and just doing what comes natural to them. And I think as entrepreneurs, we can absolutely get caught up in that. And so when we can just step back, again, that SOAR framework works equally well in business. When we can just slow down, take that pause, open ourselves up to the possibilities, accept what's right in front of us and reconnect with whatever our purpose is, whatever our mission is, whatever our stated purpose as, as an organization is. Um, and, you know, even, even in terms of meetings, you know, what if, what if, what if, you took three minutes at the beginning of every board meeting you had and you did a little meditation. You don't have to call it a meditation because some people might freak out. <laughs> but what if you just breathed together? You know what, Kimberly, before we get started, I just want to make sure all our phones off. We're going to get right here, right now. We're going to get present so that we can get super productive. And what if you just took even 60 seconds at the beginning of one of those meetings? And even better yet, what if you checked in with everybody around the table? What are you feeling? What's going on? Just a 30 to 60 second check-in, again, depending on the size of the meeting, the size of the room. But I mean, how powerful would that be? If you go around the room and it's like, Oh, you know, I'm just, I got a lot of anger built up. My, my wife and I are fighting or, you know, again, I, I don't know how much you're, you're going to have disclosed there, but once you set that context that slow down, open up, share that, you know what, my wife and I are in the middle of getting a divorce because you can't just put that shit aside. It's going to come up in that board meeting at some point, whether you want it to or not. Somebody's going to say something that triggers you because you had the same exact fight with your, your wife last night. You know, so again, when you can create that culture of slowing down, opening up, accepting, okay, you know what? We're just going to accept it. Mike's a little pissy today because him and his wife are fighting. So th that's okay. We accept that. Now we can reconnect. What's our purpose? Our purpose here at this meeting is to X, Y, and Z. Boom. Let's get it done. So I, you know, I, again, I think that entire framework can be so powerful on a number of different levels. And that, that space to be able to just set that and be more intentional. Because I agree with you, it's it's that that drive for busyness. I I had it too. I mean, there was a joke with my friends back in my early 20s that like, oh my gosh, Kim is doing everything. And and like, you're, she's, she's so busy and then she's just adding on. Um, and as, as a mom, that's just like not my jam anymore. 
Because I want to spend time with that little imaginative fellow and watch Frozen 2 for the 50,000th time this week. (laughs) It's it's funny because I I, I joke now. So for my, I don't think I have it here, but for my my laptop and my, my documents, I have a backpack that I carry around. So that's my briefcase now is a backpack. And again, I remember when I was 19 and I bought my first briefcase and I thought, oh, this is awesome. I've got a briefcase. I've arrived. And then, you know, once I became successful as a business guy, it's like, I don't want a fucking briefcase. Give me a backpack. If I got to hop on a plane, I can throw it over my back and I'm away we go. And I got everything with me and, and away we go. So it's just, it's funny how your, your perspective shifts over time. Yeah. The perception of kind of almost, it's not exactly faking it till you make it, but it kind of yeah. is. It's yeah. like living into who you think that is. And then finally you get to that age where you're just like, I'm just going to reject all that. Cause I'm good. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Like when, like I said, when you can just show up as who you are, I mean, again, we, I think we joked about this. I got my Tommy Bahama linen pants on and I've got five or six of these, these t-shirts. I got five or six in a blue and, uh, and that, and that's it. This, this is how I live now. I've got, I don't know, $20,000 worth of suits in my closet, but this, this is so much easier when I don't have to think about, Oh, what am I wearing today? What suit, what shirt, what tie, um, and this has kind of become my uniform and it's funny because I switched into this before I sold the business and I just started showing up at work. And if I had a meeting where I needed to present a little better, I'd throw a sport coat on over top. Um, and nobody commented, nobody commented. And it was funny. It was probably eight months in. And, and so I asked my, uh, my right hand, I said, so have you, have you, she was, well, yeah, I, I kind of did, but you know, I just thought that was your thing. I'm like, yeah, it totally is my thing. But I, I just <laughs> thought it was interesting that I think it was probably a bigger deal in my mind than in anyone, in anyone else's. And again, don't get me wrong. I love, love, love nice suits. So, you know, slipping on that nice suit, there is definitely something about that. So I won't get rid of them, but, but this just makes life a whole lot easier on a day to day. Yeah. I mean, Steve Jobs wore the same thing pretty much every day. So. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Strong modeling. <laughs> so, with with, I'm I'm curious because I know you built a uh your business with kind of a company culture of coaching. Yes. And empathic leadership. What does that mean to to build coaching basically into a corporation and lead empathically? Well, so, so the empathetic leadership, I, I think, you know, that, that comes back to that vulnerability piece that we talked about with my aunt Sharon, having the courage to show up, knowing full well, you're going to finish dead last. As a leader, I mean, I think 10, 15, 20 years ago, you know, we used to follow the guy or gal that would stand up and say, I know the way, let's go. Whereas today it's, you know, we know that you don't actually know the way because nobody fucking knows the way. And if you stand up and tell me this is a fact, I'm going to Google it and I'm going to call bullshit on you. And I I think people are kind of wise to that type of leadership. And what they're really looking for is, I don't need you to know all the answers, Mike, because I know that you don't. What I need you to do is I need you to show up and know that you got my back, that you're going to support me, you're going to challenge me, you're going to support me, and you're going to hold me accountable. And so again, it's less about having the answers and more about showing up for your team and being able to say that I see you. And when you're having that struggle with your partner at home, 
I recognize that that's going to impact your work. And, and not that I, that I need to become a counselor in, in that regard, but, you know, if all I'm doing is looking at the numbers and saying, Steve, how come you're down 15% this quarter? Pick your, pick your socks up, pick yourself up by your bootstraps or you're out of here. Like how excited is Steve to show up the next day at work? Not at all. Whereas if I say, Hey, Steve, like, this isn't like you, what's going on? Like you're down 15% this quarter. This just seems really out of character. Is, is there something going on? Yeah. You know what? My wife and I are having a hard time right now. It's like, all right, well, you know, we've got resource X, Y, and Z, or if you need counseling services, you can go over here and again, just directing them to resources and showing them that, that I care. Like I, I care about you. I mean, obviously we have to have some kind of results because, you know, we can't have everybody dropping 15% quarter over quarter over quarter or, or the, the organization will disappear. But, but making that sort of the secondary, the are you okay first? Because again, it's that when, when people know how much you care, right? That's, that's when they'll show up for you as well. And that's, you know, so many of my team would take a bullet for me because I would take a bullet for them. And I demonstrated that it wasn't just lip service. You know, I've got so many examples of guys and gals that, that, that got themselves into trouble and, and, and one in particular that I can think of. And, and I talk about uh, getting out of your head and into your heart. So that sort of heart-based versus head and, and how do we get that balance of head and heart um, and there was somebody that, that made a decision that was incredibly stupid, that could have been incredibly damaging to us as an organization, um, and in fact, could have been a fireable uh, offense. Um, but when I dove deeper, I just want to make sure I'm not breaking any confidences here. Um, when, I, when I dove deeper, I realized that, that, that they, I found out that they had, um, the week prior, had been checked into the hospital and put on suicide watch. Mm. They were having a, a really tough go of life at the time. And, and I didn't know it, except that I took the time to rather than ream them out for the mistake they made, that again, it, it, it could have been incredibly damaging to us as an organization. And I could have fired them on the spot. Like there would have been no pushback, no argument uh, at all. But when I took the time to dive a little bit deeper and start to understand that this was out of character for them, this happened because of this other thing going on in their life, then, you know, we got through that together. And I said, okay, you know what, for the next six months, here's what's going to happen. You're not making any decisions. Everything is going to come through my office. Um, and, and we're going to just make sure this doesn't happen again. And if it does, you're done. Uh, and so again, I, it was a firm conversation, but it was also a caring conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and as a result, you know, we got through the next six months, they got their stuff sorted out. They ended up changing geography and, and things worked out really well. Um, you know, and, and that's somebody that's going to be loyal to me for life, for life. And, and even to this day, I mean, I don't own the company anymore. They still work there and I still, you know, I still talk to them. And, and I know if I ever needed anything from them to, to support my endeavors today, I could absolutely pick up the phone and, and, and they'd be there for me. So, so yeah, I, I think that's, that's critical. I mean, again, the, this historic, um, 
sort of lead lead with whips and and you know um do this do this do this it just doesn't work anymore it just doesn't mm-hmm. work so so how how can uh women adapt to men feeling because i know mm-hmm. that sometimes sometimes well we'll say that we want it like i personally love the few times that i have ever seen my husband cry because it i just feel so connected um to him when he he's gone through that or he looked at the piece of steak at in florence as the same way he looked at me at our weddings <laughs> like it was it was on our honeymoon i'll give him that but it was just the moment that we were there and he started to tear up and i was like that's the same look and tears that you gave me in my wedding dress <laughs> but i i've loved all those moments but sometimes as women, we're not used to having men feel regularly. And how can, how can we allow for that space to see that within ourselves? Does it go back to the sore as well? Yeah. So, so absolutely. The sore framework for sure. Um, But, but have that conversation with your partner. So Michelle and I, my, my partner now, we've been together almost three years um, and sorry, I shouldn't say almost, we just had our third year, um, anniversary. Congratulations. Um, thank you. But, but we have these conversations and if there are things that are tough, then we articulate that. So, you know, if, if you're somebody that does find it challenging to, to see a man break down or cry or get emotional or, or whatever the case may be, have that conversation with your partner. Say, hey, Mike, look, one of the things I love about you is that you're a sweet, sensitive dude. But that's not the environment I was raised in. And so there are times when it can make me feel really fucking uncomfortable. So if I respond a certain way that makes you go, gee, purrs, what the hell? Just understand that that's where I'm coming from. And that's one of, one of my favorite relationship books is... Um, Hold Me Tight by, by Sue Johnson. I don't know if you've read that. No, I haven't. She, she talks about raw spots and understanding there's raw spots. And, and usually that awkwardness or uncomfortableness with somebody expressing emotion comes from a, a raw spot, something internally that, that, that you've got struggles with. Um, so understanding your own raw spots and being able to articulate those raw spots to your partner um, you know, for example, perfect example of a raw spot for me. So I told you on, on the morning that Colleen was killed, it was an abundance of texts not returned. And then I got that phone call from the police officer. So even to this day, if I text Michelle, and, and not that she needs to respond instantly, but, but if there's a little bit out of character length of time that goes by that I don't hear back from her, I just like, I get this anxiety that rises up. And we've talked about this because the flip side for her is she's been in an abusive and controlling relationship before. Mm. So, you know, for me to say to her, I need you to respond quickly, you know, is going to set her raw spots on edge and say, who is this dude that's trying to control me? Whereas for me, it's got nothing to do with control. It's just, hey, babe, like I need you to understand that when I don't hear from you, it's totally okay because I don't expect you to be hyper responsive, but I just need you to know that there's a little piece of me that goes, 
So if I react in a way that you're going like, dude, it's been three hours that I didn't reply to you. Why are you losing your mind? Um, just understand that that's why it's, it's coming from a place of, I love you and I'm terrified that I'm going to lose you. It's not coming from a, I want to control you place. Right. So, and, and just having those conversations um, so that you can allow your partner to do that. And again, I'm talking about an intimate partner relationship, but, but certainly uh, again, this is some of the potential perils that we talked about women in leadership Mm -hmm. is feeling like they have to quote unquote man up to be effective leaders. And, and And I think the exact opposite is true. Um, if we had more empathy shown in, in leadership, um, you know, I mean, again, you're, you're down in Australia, look, look across the, the way there to uh, Jacinda um, in, in New Zealand, and she just does a, a, a brilliant job uh, of employing empathy in, in a leadership context. And, and I think, you know, we could all learn a lot from that. So for, for the women, and I joke about this, um, when I talk about this in the, in the context of guys, I say, you know, ladies, we weren't born knuckle dragon mouth breathers. We've been conditioned to become that way. And it's going to take us time to uncondition that. So have a little patience with us for one and two, allow it. And, and I get that it can be uncomfortable and I can get that it can be awkward. Um, you know, and my, and my message to when I talk about grief is own your grief. Someone else's awkward isn't your problem. Um, so I would just say from a, a woman's perspective, if there's awkwardness or uncomfortableness, then just take a look in the mirror and say, hey, why is that? Why is that? Uh, and, and not that there's anything wrong with feeling that way because you mm-hmm. feel what you feel, but, but maybe just again, that sore framework, just slow down, open up, accept what's there and reconnect with your objective. If your objective is to help create a better humanity, a better um, relationship with somebody that can really show up as their authentic self. If that's your objective, if that's what you need to reconnect to, then slow down, open up and just say, okay, what is it that I'm, I'm feeling? Um, and again, being able to communicate that is, is huge. E- even on a, a leadership perspective, if, if you've got a, a, a sensitive man that reports to you and, and that's hard for you, just being able to say, hey, Mike, look, I know you're a really sensitive dude. I, I've worked really hard to, to, to bust my ass to get to where I am. And I still struggle a little bit with that sensitivity. So just understand that for me, that sometimes a bit of a challenge. I, I'm here for you. I care about you. But I sometimes struggle with that a little bit. And then again, once I think once you've opened that up, it's like, huh. and it's not this elephant in the room. And it's, yeah it just gets so much easier. I hope that answers your question. Yes. And I think one of my favorite parts about your SOAR framework is that you don't have the big F in it. Fix. Yeah. Oh God. Yes. <laughs> oh yes. So let's, yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah. You don't have, yeah. it's not accept and then you have to fix it or you're supposed to fix it. It is acceptance of just what is in the present moment and then reconnect with purpose. Yes. Not, and then from there, it, the process will evolve. But the fixing, it's not, it's not, it's not a fix. I would love to know what you, your thoughts are on 
fixing. Uh, so, so I love that because that to me, and I can't believe we haven't got there already, but that is kind of the key to the entire equation. So one of the things, and again, back to that communication things, one of the things that Michelle and I have talked about very early is that, that I don't need you to fix me. You know, I don't need to fix you. And sometimes what I will do when I'm at my best, I will ask you if we're having a conversation, I will say, okay, Kimberly, before we get going, do you want empathy or do you want strategy? And then I know, okay, so especially as a, as a leader, right? Sometimes as a leader, you, you, you are in a position where you do need to give strategy. You do need to kind of fix if you want to say, but having that conversation and saying, do you want empathy or do you want strategy? And, and learning, and especially for guys, that's hard learning to hold space for somebody else and, and especially another guy, like, and we talk about, you know, when a guy starts to express emotions for guys, like I just, you know, if there's 10 guys in a room and one guy starts feeling the nine guys are kind of looking at each other, like, what the hell is going on? What do we do with this? I don't know how to do this. And, and we want, we want to fix things. Um, one of my best examples of, of that holding space was, uh, conversation with my daughter. I can't remember if I told you this one, um, but we were out for coffee with my, I was out for coffee with my 16 year old daughter. And I was talking about um, all of this work I do with men and how important it is for men to feel. And it kind of went on and on and on. And uh, I said, do you understand why this is important? And I said, this is important. And this is critically important because emotionally connected men don't kill people. And as I said that, you know, the first few times I, I said that, I, just, I couldn't say that without falling apart. And so as I said that to her, I started to fall apart and I started crying in the middle of a crowded coffee shop with my 16-year-old daughter. And I just immediately went into this, I got to fix this mode. And I, you know, sat up straight and I adjusted myself and I started trying to pick myself up. And to her credit, she just sat there. She gave me a little smile. She just looked at me. And as I started to try and compose myself, she leaned over and she touched my hand and she said, dad, she just, she said, you've just spent the last 20 minutes telling me how important it is to allow men to feel. She said, let it out. And that was one of the most beautiful moments I've ever had in my life. Like talk about lessons from a 16 year old girl. Hey, it, it, wow. it, was, it was amazing. So the flip side of that, we had um, one of, one of uh, the men's groups that I facilitate. We had uh, a group of guys and we, we were kind of going around the circle and talking about why are you here? Um, and a lot of the guys talked about some of the things they'd accomplished or um, had to contribute. And we got to one of the guys and he kind of went, uh, you know, uh, uh, and you could tell he was feeling sort of less than and and so I prompted him a little bit and he it came out he said yeah well you know I just like you guys are all so accomplished you've got so much to offer I just I really feel like I have nothing to offer to this group and so typically what we'll try and do is dive deeper into whatever that feeling is and so I said to him I said so so what is that what does that feel like where do you feel that and, and we ended up at shame so he started talking about shame and as soon as he hit that and it just, you could see it wash over him. Every single one of us in that room, myself included started to try and fix that. 
oh no, dude, dude, no, you're, you've got so much to offer. You've got so much to contribute. And I, we started fixing. And I just, afterwards, I thought that is the exact opposite of holding space. Rather than let him, because as guys, we don't go there. Like we don't let ourselves ever get there, but he was there. He was sitting in that shame. And what a gift it would have been if we could have sat with him in that shame and just let him feel that and explore that in the safety of a bunch of other dudes and just really look at that and say, what does that feel like? But instead we jump to the fix. And, and so, yeah, for me, that holding space piece, that not fixing things is so critical because when we try and fix things, we just, we don't ever actually heal them. Um, we don't let them run their course and, and we, and we don't embrace the process. Mm-hmm. And my husband says, um, to his community says you can't fix them because he ain't broken yes and it's it's there's a misperception that i think a lot of us have then when we have these negative emotions that there's something wrong with us yeah that there's something broken and i mean i know because that's that was one of the beliefs that was driving the behavior of having an eating disorder and it wasn't until i allowed myself to recognize my own wholeness and that i just was a glass that had some murky water in it, but I was totally whole and full, just as a little murky with some negative emotions and crappy beliefs. Yes. That allowing that to, to pour out, to fill it up with some, some good clean water. Yeah, changed definitely. the game. I like that analogy a lot. So I would, I love this conversation. I would love to move into a little bit of rapid fire. All right. If you are, ready, willing, and able. So who is your favorite female character in a movie or book and why? Oh, I don't know. I think actress, I always think Sandra Bullock and I don't know why. I don't know. (laughs) What woman would you want to trade places with just for a day? Oh, um, Jacinda Ardern. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's doing some awesome work down there in New Zealand. And um, uh, what if your palace had a curse jar, a swear jar, (laughs) how much money would be in it per day? And then where would you reinvest it? (laughs) I would be broke. It would be full (laughs) every day because I fucking swear a lot. Um, Where would I reinvest it? I, I would reinvest it in again, trying to, to communicate out to guys that, again, feeling isn't fucking weakness, you know? And again, this is where I love being able to have this message because I do some pretty non-weak things. Um, so it makes it hard for the, the other guys to challenge me on that. But yeah, that's where I'd reinvest it. What message do you want to share with the world? I think I already have an idea what this one is. <laughs> what do you think that is? It's okay to feel. Yeah. If you had to have your success at twice the speed, how would you have done it differently? If I had to have my success at twice the speed, well, again, it comes back to that slowing down. I, I think if I, as, as counterintuitive as that sounds, 
when you slow down, you can actually often move a whole lot faster. And I, and I see that in, in my running training as well. And we do that the long, slow runs on the weekends. Mm -hmm. We actually consciously run slower than we can so that eventually we can run faster. Uh, like Carl Lewis in the 85% rule. I'm not familiar with with his 85% rule. Oh, so there is, um, so you know the sprinter Carl Lewis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so he, they, he was being studied as like why he was always at the back of the pack and to start with, but then he would always finish first. Ah. Uh. And what the person studying him said, he, he said, nothing changed. Like everybody else, all the other sprinters would exert themselves right. for the first 50 or 75% so that by that second half or last quarter they were running on reserves and they were having to pull up something from inside of themselves carl lewis stayed the same his breathing stayed the same his heart rate stayed the same he knew the pace that would get him and he was just relaxed so he was he wasn't running at a hundred percent out of the gate he was running at 85 percent consistently yeah, no, I think that's I think that's super critical. That for sure would have been a lesson that I would take back to to my younger self and and spend the time to like focus on technique. You know, I think triathlon and swimming, you know, so often we just want to get the distance in and uh, for from an exercise standpoint whereas really if we focused less on getting the mileage in and focus more on honing our slowing down to hone our technique, we'd be much more efficient. Have you read She Running? Uh, I haven't. It's, I think it's on my Kindle. I, I've heard of it. I haven't read it. Oh, my God. I loved it, and it totally made sense to me as to why I uh, was able to go from being an exercise-induced asthmatic to being able to run marathons. Like oh, body cool. structure, positioning, it's, it's brilliant. Um, and I highly recommend it. I will leave descriptions to all of the books that we have dropped <laughs> in the description of this episode. And last, uh, well, two more questions. One, what do you define as your kingdom? As my kingdom? Yes. What is my kingdom? I think the entire earth is my kingdom. The world is your oyster. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I would want to be pegged to a kingdom because that seems to me like somewhat constraining like i would have to stay in my kingdom i want to roam the world so you just claim the whole world is your kingdom i'm claiming the whole world perfect and lastly how do you crown yourself how do i crown myself well, i'm gonna need some help with that one it's totally, it's totally, it can be taken literally, metaphorically, any way that you choose to take it is perfect and right for you. Uh, I crown myself with beer. That is my little reward. I love, love, love beer. So I, uh, I tend to, I like to celebrate um, little wins. I like to find ways to celebrate. So uh, yeah, and I think that, is a lost art as well, is the ability to celebrate the small wins. We were talking about this uh, this morning on my, on my live show, um, the ability to celebrate the little wins to, to, to A, help motivate you, keep you moving forward, um, 
but it's just, it's something that, you know, again, we put these giant goals and milestones on our, on our vision board and, and we don't celebrate until we get there. Uh, and I, and I think we really need to crown ourselves uh, for getting out of bed every morning. I love that. Mike, it has been such a pleasure to have you on. I have learned so much. I have loved our conversation. Where can we find you? How can we work with you? How can we refer people, our husbands and sons and brothers and fathers yeah. <laughs> to come? <laughs> uh, MikeCameron.ca Mike is the website. I've actually got a workshop coming up. I don't know when you're going to drop this, but uh, September 8th, I'm, I'm uh, starting a four-week workshop uh, for men. And uh, yeah, MikeCameron.ca is kind of the home to everything. You can go to MikeCameron.ca slash Facebook. We'll kick you over to my Facebook page where I do a live uh, broadcast every morning at 8.30 Mountain Time. And uh, I'm all over the place on, online. So Awesome. And we will leave all the links in the description below. As always, my fellow Princess in the Beers, own your throne, mind your business, because your reign is now. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If what you heard resonated with you, be sure to subscribe and share your breakthroughs and ahas with me by leaving a review on iTunes so I can keep the magic flowing your way. And if you aren't already following us on social media, come experience the extra inspiration and queenly convos on Instagram at crownyourselfnow or visit our website at crownyourself.com. I am so excited to connect with you in the next episode. And in the meantime, go out there and create a body, business, and life that rules.